0: So, all right, well, let's say a prayer. Thank you, Lord, for uh, celebrations is one of the topics today. And uh, celebrations were created by you, and the uh, the first celebrations took place in the Garden of Eden before the fall of man. So... um, As we study, uh, you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. And if there's any most important truth about God, it's that, that you are a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. Uh, We actually call your word the Old and New Covenant, even though that's really not a correct name because there are eight major biblical covenants. So, uh, amen. Any uh, progress here? Did some, did they, did they find my laptop? Thank you. Okay. So I I'll, I I'll, uh, I had meant not to review today, but I guess I'm going to review. And it looks like we have uh, uh, Sindhu's here. It looks like we have at least two or three people who haven't uh, been a part of all these t- teachings. So a little bit of review wouldn't hurt. So what we're looking at um, is uh, a series that I'm actually working on writing into a book, uh, and I'm already starting on it. And uh, it's uh, going to be called Components of All Biblical Covenants. So uh, what we're basically, um, uh, or I think I'm going to call the book An Introduction to Biblical Covenants. So the first concept that we covered is that uh, God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God, and there are eight major covenants mentioned in the Bible. Now, there are a lot more covenants than eight. Thank you, Josiah. That looks like the correct one. Thanks. Uh, didn't get paper-punched. Um, so there are a lot more biblical covenants than eight. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, when... Uh, uh Jacob and I I never know if you're supposed to say Labane Laban uh but when he's uh dealing with his father-in-law if you remember they even like draw a line and like <laughs> there was an animosity between them so it was kind of a uh a covenant that you might call a treaty or a, or a, a ceasefire <laughs> you know or something like that and so uh there's lots of covenants like that in the bible the most important thing to realize is that most treatments. There, there are books that that talk about the major covenants of the Bible, uh, and we would differ in our thinking on them. In this sense, that you normally you hear the first one being the Creation Covenant, sometimes called the Adamic Covenant, and uh, two things we differ with is the in in a chronological thing Hebrews 13:20 talks about the blood of the everlasting or eternal covenant and the fact is that God the Father God the Son God the Holy Spirit three persons in one being the classic christian doctrine of the trinity had a covenant within himself before time began before the material world was created that uh God uh, foreknows all things there's nothing that's going to happen uh, like if uh if you had a relationship with God you could what was that movie back to the future I think uh either ep- there was two or three you know in the second or third one uh you know biff or the who's uh the protagonist, the bad guy uh Biff gets a copy of um, of, you know, all this futuristic stuff, so he knows who's going to win the next 40-some World Serieses, and uh, so there, he's, he's going to bet heavily and make millions of dollars on, on this. Well, you know what? God actually already knows the winners of the next 40 World Serieses, assuming that uh, the United States remains a free nation, and there are World Series for 40 more years. And God already knows if that will happen or it won't happen. And, uh, you know, um, he he uh, gets a different enjoyment out of, of sports because part of the enjoyment we get out of sports is uh, not knowing who's going to win as we root for the game. He already knows. He he actually knows what you're going to name your children. He knows uh, when you're going to finish college. Uh, he he knows uh, who you're going to marry. Uh, He knows the date of your death already. And uh, he knows those who he's drawing to himself, those who are the elect and the chosen, and he knows those who are gonna reject him. There's nothing past, present, or future that God doesn't know. And part that's a doctrine in theology called omniscience or a characteristic of God called omniscience, and God doesn't actually have to remember anything, because He never forgot anything. He has all knowledge about all things from all possible perspectives on the surfaces of His mind at all times. That's for, like we we cannot actually quite fathom just how smart that is, or how knowledgeable that is. He he's all knowing at all moments at all times. So um, the first covenant is actually called the eternal covenant. We're not going to deal any more with that today. We'll get into the outline here. But um, then the Adamic covenant. The only other, the second thing we disagree with most Christians on, and we wouldn't be alone in this opinion. But you always hear that called the covenant of works and that of all the biblical covenants, it's the only one that wasn't a covenant of grace Uh, because Adam was told to obey something and the covenant, uh, his status in the covenant with God was, and Eve's status in the covenant with God was dependent on whether they obeyed or not. It was dependent supposedly on their works. However, God created them by grace. He put them in the garden by grace. He gave them his law by grace. They had a relationship with him by grace. And it, all, all covenants are, are covenants of grace because God is a God of grace. Now, that doesn't mean all covenants, as we're going to see, have uh, laws to be obeyed and parameters and boundaries. And they all have sanctions. They all have disastrous consequences for disobeying the the covenant. You know, like if you've been married more than two or three years, eventually you'll say, honey, I just really love you. And she'll say, if you really love me, Don't forget that you're supposed to take out the trash on Wednesday nights and put it it by the curb. And don't make me remind you every week. (laughs) And uh, get to a point where I don't have to get you up for work or whatever. Stop buying all that stuff from China. (laughs) If you were Catherine. So... um, So anyway, uh, what we tend to call the Old Covenant in the Bible is really the Mosaic Covenant that starts in the book of Exodus, and the first first 18 chapters of Exodus are, we're going to see what's called the historical preamble to the covenant that's spelled out in chapters 19 and 20. So we're going to start getting into that kind of stuff today. So, flip over the page, uh, oh uh, another thing that we that if you that I should re reemphasize is that ultimately in all biblical covenants, God himself fulfills the terms of and for both parties in the covenant. We are inherently covenant breakers, and uh the more. Uh, a society gets ungodly, the more a society has more covenant breaking. Uh, it is it is normal and to be expected if a culture begins to turn away from God that the divorce rate will grow up. Also, the business climate will get more difficult. Uh, I uh, am sixty six years old. I think I was I think I was maybe 24 when I bought the first house I bought which was uh the campus ministry house we used in Bowling Green before I went to grad school and uh I can't remember if I was in grad school already when I bought the house but I was that age still single uh, I was friends with Catherine and uh, I had asked Catherine to join the campus ministry and and help me on uh, discipling young ladies and so forth and uh that led to uh, one to two years later, we got married. But, uh, but I, didn't, I wasn't married and so forth. But I remember the closing, and I actually did a loan for that house. At, uh, the, I actually had a land contract with the seller for about a year. But part of our uh, agreement was that in one year, I'd refinance with a bank. And so when I refinance with a bank, you have a thing called a closing. If you've uh, bought a house, you've been through a closing probably. And uh, you have a little bit of a closing when you buy a car if you finance it. And uh, I was amazed uh, some years later when I bought another house at how many many, uh, more documents there were. Because whatever what, one of the consequences of a, of a society becoming ungodly is that you can't trust someone for their work. You know, if I, uh, uh, I, I remember some years ago, uh, we were at uh, an event for the Miami Valley Women's Center, which is, what are they called now? Hope Rising. Hope Rising. And I think it was the Walk uh, for Life maybe that year. I, I forget what we were at. And afterwards, a bunch of us went to, um, to the convention center on Fifth Street. And they were having like an all-nations kind of a fair or whatever. And so there was food from uh, many, many different types of food from different nations. And uh, I hadn't brought any uh, money. So... Uh I I was always disturbed by this, but what happened was I borrowed money from Deanna. Get it's getting too hot up here for that. And uh and I always feel bad about this because three or four day, days later Deanna had to remind me that I borrowed money from her. And when I had the money in my drawer all along and could have paid her at any moment, I just uh didn't uh now in that case there's a I didn't intend to be a covenant breaker. But I was a covenant breaker. And she had to remind me, don't forget you owe me I think it was 50 bucks. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to sample lots of food from lots of countries. <laughs> and treat other people just the same, you know. I'm, I'm always buying when it comes to those events. Especially if I have Deanna's money. But, <laughs> no I'm just kidding, so anyway. Fortunately, I got the money out of my drawer and gave it to her. Said, "I'm sorry, I forgot." You know, uh, the the problem is uh, the, the number of documents required to close and, and Matt, you just you're probably the most recent one that's closed on a new house. Were you surprised at how many places there were to sign? <laughs> probably more than thirty, right? What's that? He won't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> He eventually had to kind of do this with his hand, to get a get a second wind. All right. So, when in the Bible, when there are covenants, one of the things that's very clear about God is God. Jesus Christ is the same, yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews thirteen eight. Uh, the I'm always uh, I'm I'm not one that deals with change well. And so I'm always joking that I'm trying to be like the Lord. I don't change. and uh, But, uh, we, you know, the fact is we're all over the place with all kinds of things, but God himself doesn't change. His word is eternal. His covenants are eternal. And you can get this from, from Galatians 3, but no covenant in the Bible abrogates or... or uh, denies a previous covenant all as the covenants unfold in the bible they all fulfill the previous covenant and it's god himself who fulfills it and we look we looked at genesis 22 um, verse 8 when when uh remember when isaac says to abraham uh there's, I don't see any lamb, who, you know, where's the lamb, and uh, I I think Isaac might have started, it, from the context, I wonder if Isaac's like, uh-oh, something's not right here, yeah, I might be in trouble here, uh, and the Hebrew brings this out, and um, uh, really not a lot of English Bibles bring this out, the complete Jewish Bible is an English translation that brings this out, but Abraham says to, to, uh, 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 to Isaac, God himself will provide the, the lamb. He'll provide the sacrifice. But the Hebrew actually means God himself will provide the sacrifice of himself. He, God himself is the sacrifice. And, of course, if there's any basic doctrine to Christianity is, Uh, you know, Jane and uh, John Bradbury didn't die for your sins. God himself died for our sins. No man can redeem his brother, the Psalms say, because the the price of his soul is too costly. There was only one person in all the universe that could be a savior, God himself, because he had a perfectly, uh, he was... Fully human, yet without sin. Not it wasn't only that Jesus had never sinned or committed individual sins. He didn't he was born of the Holy Spirit. He was fully human. Just like Adam was created by the Holy Spirit, Eve was created by the Holy Spirit, and they were fully human. Uh, You don't have to be have been born in the normal process to be fully human. Uh, But when Adam and Eve sinned, They and they uh, received a change in their nature, called a sin nature. Some people use a lot of different words, but their their nature was hopeful. uh, uh, Beyond beyond, what's the word I'm looking for? Beyond all hope, corrupted. Uh, In such a way as although that the symbolism of the fact that they covered themselves was fig leaves is that fallen man is always trying to atone for himself before god and we actually do that before each other right we don't really let each other know just how bad it is i always liked uh ray nethery has he always likes to say cheer up it's much worse than you think or it's much worse than you think Uh, our sin nature is beyond anything we can even understand how diabolical and twisted and Uh, you know, we're totally at its mercy apart from the grace of God eradicating our sin nature and changing us in Christ. When we receive Christ as Lord and Savior, we're not asking him to come in and dust a little and straighten the chairs and so forth. He's going to knock the whole house down and build build a complete new structure on a complete new foundation of himself rather than the old foundation that, would, that sin had given us of ourselves as Lord and Master. Mm-hmm. And he's going to change us from the inside out to the depth of our beings. And that's the only hope we have. All right, so let's, um, you know, as you get into covenants, you'll see that all covenants have certain ingredients because God is consistent. Okay, uh, that, we don't think enough about that, but one of the most comforting things of being a Christian and walking with God and so forth is we, we are serving a God who never changes. We can always count on him acting according to his word, which the mouth speaks out of the abundance that fills the heart. God's word comes out of his nature. And so there, there, there is one person in the universe that's actually worthy of our trust, God himself. Amen. Now, in, as God redeems us and we build Christian character and so forth, to a certain degree, we can trust each other because of Christ and in Christ, but not because uh, of any characteristics that are found in us, but only the, because of the the Christness character that God has imparted to us as he saves us, sanctifies us, and matures us. You can count on Christ in, in us, you know, as Paul says, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So components, another word would be like ingredients or um, something like that. Um so let's let's uh look at 12 components now there is there are no christian books on this subject period uh there are a couple people that have taken a stab at this probably the best one uh if sam chen sing poon when he was teaching on covenant uh, a year or so back uh, i hope they're doing well hope they're watching the podcast today. hi sam and amber in singapore Hope things are well. Um, Sam mentioned a guy named Ray Sutton, and Ray Sutton is the head bishop of the denomination that Dominion Academy, or Christ the King, belongs to. And uh, uh, Peter Manto, who was my pastor for, you know, five of the first seven years I was a Christian uh, back in the 70s, let me, yeah, 70s, uh, he's the number two bishop in their denomination. Uh, and uh, the, um, Ray Sutton has a book uh, where he uh, uses an acronym that uh, he calls Theos, which he adds an extra, an extra S, but he uses T-H-E-O-S-S as uh, what he would call the ingredients of all covenants. And, and our, this little scheme that I'm proposing has all six of those and six more besides so uh, let's get into these. First, Now, uh, we've mentioned this before, but I'm going to review this too, sorry. But you really need to know this. In the ancient Far East and Near East, uh, all covenants were called Susanry covenants. That is all national covenants. They came about, uh, for instance, uh, in the time of Moses, Egypt was the most powerful nation in the world. And there were many nations like Ethiopia and so forth that did obeisance or had to obey Egypt because Egypt had militarily conquered them and imposed a susanry covenant on them. Okay, then you see that throughout the rest of the Old Testament, after the after the ten plagues of Egypt and so forth, Egypt remains a big player on the world scene, but they never are quite as powerful of a nation again as they had been before God judged them, uh being the final act being uh the you know, when the closing of the Red Sea on the armies of Pharaoh. Exodus fifteen. And of course in uh chapter sixteen um, Miriam and the ladies of israel uh go out to to the desert to dance and celebrate some people think their dancing was so intense that it wouldn't have been proper for them to dance in front of the men and that's why they went out uh on their own because they really got into worshiping and dancing and and expressing their joy before lord, the lord and many Christian songs are taken from some of the verbiage and uh like the horse and rider thrown into the sea. The Lord is God and I will praise him. My father, There's all those songs. So um, in Susan's Recovenants, of course, you see eventually the um, Babylon uh, uh, arises, then the Medes, then the Persians, uh, then eventually Greece, then eventually Rome. So by the time of Christ, there's been about seven different nations who were the most powerful nation in the world and were conquering the nations around them. And when they did conquer them, they imposed a covenant on them. And it wasn't a covenant that the the, the ones who were vanquished or conquered, they couldn't object. Uh, you know, I always like to say what when you come to Christ, you can accept, him, you, but you, uh, you cannot accept him. But you can't alter the covenant. What, what is kind of the heresy of today's kind of self-centered Christianity and what God will do for you approach, uh, in the, in the whole prosperity gospel and name it, claim it, and all those kind of things. Part of what's the problem with all that is it begins with what's in it for me. And some pastors who study church growth and stuff have rightfully said, "Whatever you use to bring someone to Christ, you're going to have to continue to use that to help them go forward." So if you appeal to their selfishness, you're you're uh, uh, fighting an uphill battle from the beginning because the gospel is not a selfish, me- you know, like die to self, take up your cross, deny yourself. That's not a selfish message. <laughs> Now, ultimately, there are great advantages and great rewards as part of all covenants have sanctions when we obey the covenant Lord and receive Christ and make him our Lord and walk with him as Lord. There are ultimately all kinds of blessings, but those blessings are on the other side of the cross always. I I always like to say... uh, you know, joking with people that are considering Christ, this is going to hurt you more than it does me. <laughs> At least your, your coming to Christ is going to hurt you more than it does me. Because <laughs> you're going to die. You're going to have to embrace your crosses. And Jesus, it's very clear that we actually have to take up our crosses daily. God gives you bosses that are crosses, spouses. Uh, Sometimes uh, children, sometimes jobs, sometimes uh, uh, you'll struggle with a particular temptation or whatever, but there's always going to be a death to self in order to have the life of Christ come through you. So let's talk about the 12 uh, components of all biblical covenants. First, the uh, covenant Lord identifies the members of the covenant, and it's not like uh, if John Gray and I, who are good friends, were having a uh, covenant discussion about going camping or something, uh, John Gray would be free to tell me, well, I think I have these strengths. Greg, you know you don't know a lot about camping, and I do, so here are some of the things I'm bringing to the table. But when, we, when God is involved in the covenant, the parties are identified as he sees it. And so there's a lot of good teaching at times about your identity in Christ. Because you are who God says you are, not who you say you are. And the more you can see what the Bible says about, you know, One of the reasons you you get, uh, sometimes in in the name of humility or false humility or what I call the humble bumble syndrome, you'll hear people kind of denigrate themselves. You know, I'm just a loser. And the fact is, in Christ, you're who God says you are. And so uh, what may seem like humility at times, sometimes it's just sin and rebellion uh you you know like you're you think you're doing a number on you know castigating yourself or whatever but that's not that's not who you are in Christ you're a new if if anyone's in Christ second corinthians 5:17 you're a new creation the old things have passed away behold all things have become new you're who god says you are and you might have been known for this kind of wickedness or that kind of wickedness or or whatever but that's not relevant anymore i remember when i was maybe about a year old in christ or so when i first started to understand this because you know my uh the way my parents had come to christ uh, in this in the 60s and uh, I I rejected the whole thing for about seven more years. I, I didn't come to Christ fully until I was 17. And uh, I had just come off of six years of being high every day. I think there were, maybe in the last six or seven years before I was a Christian, I was not high or drunk one or two days a year, uh, if we ran out of drugs or something. Uh, you know, and I, I uh, you know, some of my great goals were like, Getting nice kids in my school to to uh, party more with drugs more and something. what a girl what an ambition, uh, yeah, you know I I thought I'd really accomplished something when I finally got my two older brothers to start smoking pot, and uh, you know like big big uh, accomplishment, and so uh, you know when I came to Christ, as you probably if you've uh, walked with the Lord more than an hour or two, uh, you've probably failed at times. And uh, if you're honest with yourself, if you walk with the Lord more than a day or two, you've failed a lot of times. <laughs> and more than you'd like to count and more than you could count. Right? And so uh, it would be easy for us to focus on our shortcomings. And I can remember dealing with feelings like I, because I, when I became a Christian, I, God kind of put me in this uh, very radical on fire college fellowship that everyone was super on fire and uh, knew their Bibles and the worship was really intense. And I remember thinking sometimes, who am I kidding? I'll never be one of these people. I'm just a pothead. You know, I steal cars and you know what do things like that uh who am i kidding that i'm gonna be one of these christian types and you know what happens is you get uh, humble you start to get grace and you maybe have uh, a few days where you're on fire and you're zealous and so forth but inevitably you stumble and then you're if you're if you're focused on uh your feelings and your experience rather than scripture you can really kind of start beating yourself up and i can remember you know uh the lord helping me and a, and a particular pastor friend that was helping me just kind of begin to 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 keep the truth of my water baptism And to say to my emotions, and, and I'm sure that times there were demonic spirits behind them, I, you know, like, I'm not going to hear all this stuff. Greg Weiss doesn't live here anymore. A new creature in Christ, Jesus, lives here now. And it really doesn't matter what I did It matters what the Bible says about you. Amen. That's what really matters. And I uh, can remember you know, having having to go to my father and ask him. Uh, in our family, we had kind of a, a rule that you had to work a job once you were 10 or so. And uh, you had to put your money in the bank and do your best to pay for college. And as long as you were doing that, my father paid the rest of it. You know, if you could pay for one year, he paid for the other three or whatever. But but even when in college, you were expected to work a part-time job and contribute toward the cost of your college. And all my brothers and sisters... We did this, of course, and uh, like we, this, modern kids would hate this. We actually weren't allowed to have a car till we had a bachelor's degree, and uh, so uh, of course I lived a mile off campus. It wasn't a very long walk for a young guy, so uh, but I didn't have my first car till after I finished college, and uh, I can remember having to go to my dad. and tell him that the Bible required me to make restitution from all the places I used to steal from. And thankfully, my father had become a Christian a few years before I did, and he said, okay. But it took every dime I made for a full year to pay back all the stores I used to steal from and stuff. And to you know to go to the store manager and tell him, I used to steal from your store, in some cases there were stores that I was an employee of. I worked for J C Penney and we used to put the shoes and the jackets and different things we wanted back on the loading dock and pick them up after after hours. And so I had to calculate the cost of all these. And it was it was kind of fun uh the, the in terms of the different uh responses of the different managers cuz they were completely different. It was uh, I remember the guy from J.C. Penney's was kind of a bitter, I don't know, snivelly kind of guy. And he, he was like, who else was involved in this with you? <laughs> and, I'm like, and I'm like, sir, I'm not here to rat anyone else out. I'm just here to pay uh, for what I stole. And um, the boss of the grocery store I worked for, uh, was Roman Catholic, and he said, I'm going to give this money to the St. Vincent de Paul Society. I, I'm so proud of you, kid, and that, that kind of thing. And uh, the, the place I stole the most from, uh, the guy was smoking a cigarette, and the, the ash was about this long, and I'm like, it's going to fall. <laughs> and he didn't make eye contact with me, uh, but I said, you you know there were, that you used to ask the neighbors about the blond haired kid that would come in here and steal the money and da 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 well I was that kid and so I gave him all the money and he goes through it and he hadn't looked at me the whole time and finally he looks up at me he goes, Kid, you must have had one hell of an experience. <laughs> so uh it was just amazing the different things. But you know, um the whole point is, in identifying the parties, This I, I could probably do six weeks on this, and if I got more organized on it, it would be very beneficial to you, because you are who the Bible says you are in Christ. And one reason you need to thoroughly read the whole Bible, you need to understand the depth of man's depravity. It's much worse than you think. And you need to understand the great Savior and the great salvation, which are slightly different. It's amazing what God is saving us from. And who he makes you in Christ is... um, super important. Now, flip over to the back of the page. We're, gonna, we're only going to get through point number one today, it looks like. In Exodus 19, if you read the first 18 chapters of Exodus, it starts with telling us that there was a pharaoh who arose that didn't know Joseph, right? Remember? And so the Israelites, the, the slavery that they were under becomes much harsher and Israel for 400 years is crying out for God's not in a hurry like a modern America. He didn't, doesn't drink instant coffee. Thank thank you, Jesus. Um, oh man, there used to be this stuff called instant coffee that they used to try to convince you in the 60s. They'd have these commercials that like instant coffee is actually good. It's not. So you know, God uh, after 400 years, God begins to send a redeemer a savior uh, moses who's a obviously a foreshadowing of christ and so we the, the the first 18 chapters of exodus give us a very detailed account of how god saved the israelites and he saved the israelites because egypt was both a symbol of the world system being the most uh powerful and prestigious and wealthy nation and full of self-exaltation in their hearts. And so God totally humbles the nation of Egypt and Pharaoh in such a way that if you go back and study the archaeology and so forth, Egypt didn't recover from for many centuries. Uh, And he does it by 10 plagues that actually correspond to the 10 major deities in their polytheistic system. Each plague is is a judgment on one of their polytheistic deities. And so in Exodus 19, when he says, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai, when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, this is what you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the sons of Israel. You yourselves know you've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you'll indeed obey my voice, and he goes on to tell them that they'll be members of his family and his covenant and his special treasure and so forth. But what he does is he identifies uh, himself that I bore you on Ingo's wings. And he does the second point, a historical prologue, he summarizes by saying I bore you on eagle wings. He summarizes what he said in the first 18 chapters in two lines. Like don't forget this is what I did. He first says don't forget this is who I am, then he says don't forget this is what I did. And you're going to need to know those two things to be to be involved in my covenant and be part of my special treasure in my holy nation and my uh, unique people that are in the earth. You're gonna need to remember that all the time. It's good to remember uh, there's many New Testament scriptures that exhort us, that, you know, uh, memories are a funny thing. Do you remember when Israel was in the wilderness, when they would go through hard times, they would get what I call a, a fleshly or carnal Memory, would that we were back in the in Egypt by the pots of leeks and and uh, a couple times we actually had lentils, you know, was, boy, wasn't it great? And uh, their 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 unsanctified memory uh, got the better of them. So, you know, if you look at Second uh, Peter. Peter knows that he's about to go be with the Lord and he's labored in these people's lives for his whole life. And three times in 2 Peter, he says, I'm writing these things to you so you can bring into your remembrance. Like your flesh has a way of remembering the events. It's important as a Christian to go back and as the Bible says, remember your former sins. Like, it may not be bad for you like it was once was. Your life may not be nearly as miserable as it once was, but you need to remember how miserable it was. And you need to especially remember the part that the bondage to sin that you had in uh, played in it being miserable. It was for freedom that Christ sent you free, Galatians 5.1. Therefore, stand in liberty. So does everyone get that? So the first two things in every covenant is an identification of the covenant Lord and the covenant subjects. And secondly, a historical prologue that helped them remember, this is how you came to be my subjects. And in the Bible... The the Bible calls that the ultimate freedom. If you uh, if you get to know people outside of Christ, especially in America today, uh, there there's you know Christopher Lash's book of 1974 called The Culture of Narcissism. I didn't say that very well. I put a couple extra syllables: Narcissism. <laughs> <laughs> the Culture of Narcissism. Uh, you know. He's basically explaining, he's kind of an ironic uh, person because he was uh, somewhat of a Freudian psychologist and a Christian at the same time, which I don't know how you reconcile those ideas, things, but uh, he's basically saying that we're developing a narcissistic culture. And he's kind of giving us the history of the 30s, 40s, and 50s and how we became a narcissistic culture. Uh, About 2004 to 2010, two or three different psychologists wrote kind of, um, and so this is what Lash said in the 70s, this is where we are now. And they argued that the narcissism problem in our culture was uh, 10 times as bad. When I was uh, in college, they estimated that about one out of 10 people in our society were narcissists. I would estimate that four or five people out of 10 people in our culture are narcissists today. And so we are, um, you know, we're uh, dealing with a situation where everybody's view of themselves is really screwed up, really untrue. So, in any case, that's why the gospel. Uh, if you look at uh, Colossians and Ephesians, for I'll end with this. Since I'm past schedule, Colossians and Ephesians. I often say Colossians is about uh, the the Christ of the church. Ephesians is about the church of Jesus Christ. There are arguably either seven or eight word pictures of the church in 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 Ephesians. You know, God's family, God's household, God's field, et cetera, the God's army and God's bride, Christ's bride, and so forth. There's about eight different uh, word pictures of the church in the book of Ephesians, and the Ephesians really focuses on who the church of Jesus Christ is, is and should be. Colossians focuses on who the Christ of the church is. So you'll notice that some English translations start, uh, you know, how there's headings, and they'll have a heading for five or seven verses or a paragraph, and they vary in different translations. The headings aren't inspired. They were added by the translator, but they sometimes are a helpful suggestion. Uh, the, The heading before Colossians 1.15 usually says something like the preeminence of Christ or the preeminent Christ or something like that because colossians uh, one fifteen tells us the the how great Christ is and through colossians 1:20 and so again so colossians paul is actually starting the book by identifying the party to the covenant by telling you how great Christ is and in ephesians paul is uh, telling you your what your relationship to Christ is as the family of God. And so you'll see this uh, pattern of identification of the parties in the historical prologue all through the Bible in all of the covenants. And we'll pick it up next week with uh, looking at uh, the declaration of the new order, which is in, again, all the biblical covenants. Um. And whenever, whenever the covenant Lord in the Dree covenant, it's kind of like if you ever if you ever listen to the politicians. I personally hate the whole political thing in our culture right now. We're at an all-time low for narcissism and for uh, inability to get to get along. And and uh, we basically have two uh, worldviews clashing and competing. And it's uh, it's frankly not done with respect or kindness anymore. It's it's uh, out of control. But it, uh, as you look at uh, the the whole political situation, um, I forgot the point I was gonna make about them. Or um, was I? So, uh, oh uh, yeah, they're always, the, the, they promise the new order. They always tell you how they're gonna create jobs. Governments don't create jobs. <laughs> they don't. No government, you know, I, I owned a business at one time and had some employees and stuff. The government didn't create the business. They, if anything, the government worked to undermine the business. It's called taxes. Uh, and so the government doesn't create it. But anyway, the, po- the politicians are always telling you the new order that they have brought about and, uh, and that they're going to bring about, uh, don't believe it. Uh, only, our, only the real covenant Lord can bring about social redemption, uh, economic redemption. Whoever you look to be your savior will always become your Lord. So if you're going to have more welfare programs so you have less responsibility and more bailouts and so forth, you also, with that, that you can't have that without more government control. Whoever you look to be your savior must biblically and inevitably become your Lord. And if the state is gonna be your savior, the state is gonna be your Lord. We'll look at that next week. Uh, Who's doing the communion?